SHSS podcast. Let's talk learning. Today we welcome Jesse Kennedy and Sam O'Sullivan. Jesse, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm a musician. I'm a mother. I live in West Cork. I went to school in Skibbereen for a lot of my life, although I was born in Dublin. And I've raised my two children here. I work in West Cork. I've written a lot of music about the place, the landscape, our history. And then I have some other passions like yoga and meditation, and I like to work with those, share them with children. I do a lot of teaching, and I think that's that's mainly me for now. <laughs> and Sam, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, have you got the rest of the day now? <laughs> okay, it's great to be here, by the way. This is a real honor. It's really nice, really nice to be asked. This is very cool. Thank you. I'm very impressed. I'm quite a bit older than many people in the room here. I've been in the business a long time, about 45 years. I started working in Cork in playing in bands when I was 16 and 17. Then after a couple of years, I moved up to Dublin and I started working as a technician for bands. And in 1985, I landed a pretty okay job. I landed, it's, um, I started working for U2. And I've been working for you two for the last 36 years. So it's it's been a good run. And so now we're, we're, we're back here in West Cork and we've got a few projects we're doing. And I kind of, I've stepped down from touring for now. <laughs> I paid my dues of 36 years. You know, I, I, I want to get involved in a lot of other musical things and other projects to do with the arts uh, in, in some way. Because it's it's time for me to give back now, as they say, you know. So that's that's kind of me. Jesse, what's your best memory of the school days? My best memory is when I was in school in Dublin, in Ranala, it was a Gwail school called Skullvrida. And we had an amazing dance teacher there called Doreen McFeely. She was a really inspirational lady. She's passed away now. And Doreen used to do these incredible dance productions with us every year. I was in probably third or fourth class and we would do all sorts of contemporary dance and enter um, Sloga every year. It was just an incredible time for me. It was really exciting. A lot of the people in that school, their parents were in the music industry as well. So there was a real sort of buzz around the whole thing. And I suppose I can't say that a subject was my favourite part of school or a teacher. <laughs> that certainly for me was this kind of huge escape into another world. And we were so dedicated to the dance at that time, but it was also centred around music. Thanks to Doreen, that was a really early experience for me and in performance and creativity. Sam, what's your best memory of your school days? Okay, I won't go down school <laughs> subjects, obviously. I started uh, as a professional musician after I left my intercert. Now, I don't encourage that. I think people should <laughs> should go on and do get as much education as possible. But for me, music was what I wanted. So I, I remember we had one particular teacher and he was really musical type of guy you know i mean he wasn't teaching music but he used to tap dance down to her down to her <laughs> or, or, or where we sat and i was like wow this is really cool like you know that was mr turner i never forget his name but any uh, other good parts of the school was that the christian brothers in there were very kind to us any of the young bands that they would let us use certain rooms to rehearse so it's all about music for me too like so that was kind of that's kind of it really you know that was my best parts really to be honest <laughs> jesse what did you do after you finished school after I finished school, I moved to Cork City and I studied music at um, CSN, so a music technology course there. And some great teachers there, Chris Ahern and Johnny Campbell. And so I got to play a lot of music at the time. I was also working in a restaurant called Cafe Paradiso. So I got to eat lovely vegetarian food every night, but I would be working till 3 or 4am and then trying to get to college. So it was really full on. I was kind of doing it all by myself. So it was kind of a challenging time and I felt very unsure of where I was going and I had I made the right decision and I would do gigs whenever they would come up. But that's what I did straight after school that year. Yeah. 
Sam, what did you do after you finished school? Okay, <laughs> here we go. Basically, I actually did well in my intercert. Hey, <laughs> and I got an apprenticeship. And in those days, long time ago, as my daughter says, you know, was there still dinosaurs roaming there? <laughs> one or a few vegetarian ones. So I went into an apprenticeship as a fitter turner, machines and stuff like that. But I was in there about three years, and uh, wasn't for me, you know. So back to my dad, and I said, Dad, and he says, I know, I know. He says, You want to go into music full time? So basically, I did, and I started out with whatever bands were playing in Cork. I got involved with them. We played in places like Sir Henry's, and then we used to got involved in tours. <laughs> I actually did, used to do a residency in Sir Henry's of a Wednesday. I played with a couple of bands in Cork, which was really fantastic. And I'd like to mention, I, I was in a band years ago with John Spillane, yeah, yeah, a band called Sabre. And then another band with Paul Tiernan, a band called Asylum. And then we, I went on to another band, Jimmy Crowley and the Electric Band. And we did a lot of tours around Ireland. But then I got more into, you know, it, it's hard to make a living when you're a professional at that age, you know. So you end up doing all sorts of things. And I got more into teching. And then that was the other part of the story where I eventually moved to Dublin and I got involved in bigger bands and I toured with like Aslan. I mean, which my, my heart goes out to Christy Dignam at the moment, you know. He's in a, you know, he's in a bad way right now, you know. I know Christy well. I toured with Aslan many times before I started with you two. I toured with like Stockton's Wing, Aslan, Cactus World News. I'm naming bands you girls would never <laughs> hear. Of. Moving Hearts, Planksty. I mean, tons of them. There was a lot of English bands came over from the UK. You know, UB40, a lot of those bands. We, we were kind of part of a package they would use for touring around Ireland. And that's actually one of my first times meeting you two was actually in 1978 and 79 when they played in a place called the Arcadia Ballroom. They came down from Dublin. They would come down with another band called Virgin Prunes. And we'd get both bands, both bands, for £100. They'd have nowhere to crash out. So we'd find friends of ours. They were on couches, wherever they could go for the night. Times have changed, obviously. Right? <laughs> so that was it. That was, and that's when I met him first. And then I did a couple of Irish tours with them. And then I walked on with them in 85. Did I go on a bit too much? Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Jesse, what instruments do you play and which one's your favourite? I play violin and guitar and a little piano just to write with mainly and a little bit of a few other things like mandola and tinbasol and baron. And I just love trying instruments and I love when I'm writing. I just hear a certain sound so I'll just experiment with that particular thing or instrument and that's kind of fun for me. So I don't always put huge pressure on myself to be the best at it but probably what I'm best at playing is violin and I get to play that with different groups and different people and it's a lovely thing that I can just kind of carry around and join in with things as well. So yeah I really am passionate about violin. It's kind of how I feel I can get, I think I was saying that to you yesterday Sam after one of our classes, I just feel I can give my energy through that or my voice for me. They're my two main ones so... Sam, what instruments do you play and which one's your well, favourite? Well, I just want to go back to Jessie for a second. <laughs> she has an incredible voice. I should have I, said voice is the first uh, instrument. I, I, I think that's her number one, <laughs> Yeah. right? I mean, she can pick a note. I don't know where she finds it, but she can find things out of the air and make them sound fantastic, right? And also you, you do a bit of percussion now as well. You never mentioned that? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, literally. you're forgetting, like. I have. And uh, for me, drums. Yeah, that, that was it really. Drums was the thing I always wanted. To, I mean, I just love the beat, you know. I'd like to be part of it. And I love working with a really good bass player. There's nothing like a good rhythm section, you know. And I think back of, you know, all the great rhythm sections over the years. There's always good bass and a, and a good drummer and they lock together. And then the guitar player goes off on their tangents. like. That, you know? <laughs> but there's always, once you're in a good rhythm section, that was for me, just getting down with it, you know. And I do a bit of percussion as well, but uh, drums is 
drums is where I'm yeah. at, really. Who had the biggest influence on your life, Jesse? Mm, I didn't Deep prepare one. for that question. <laughs> <laughs> a few people. Do I have to pick one? <laughs> yeah. I guess, yeah, as you were saying the other day, my mom was a huge influence musically because she was an amazing singer. So I think that, yeah, hearing her probably from when I was in the womb had a huge impact on my natural mm -hmm. musicality. So things like harmonies for me just came. I was never taught how to sing those type of things. So that was a huge one. And I also had... I have to pick my other one, which is my aunt, Rosari, who's not with us anymore, but she was, for me as a, a young woman who didn't have a lot of confidence, she gave me a lot of drive and she had a huge amount of belief in me. She was only about 20 years older than me, but she was always telling me what I was capable of doing. And I kind of realized the older I got, we don't often hear that as teenage girls from, from older women or the ones that we respect, or we don't see it. We don't see like someone really practicing what they preach and it really instills something in you. And so that was a really important one for me as well. And Sam, who's had the biggest influence on your life? Oh, straight away it was my father, my late father. You know, when I went to him, when I knew I didn't want to stick with my apprenticeship, he just looked at me and he knew, he knew of all, there were six of us in the family, six kids, right? I was the only one that wanted to go out of the box and do something <laughs> else, right? But he knew, he knew that's where I wanted to be. And he supported me that, the whole way. I mean, he went to so as far as to like to build a shed for me out in the back. I could set up my drums and, and, and rehearse. And, and I got, I rehearsed. I used to do up to eight hours a day because I wanted to be not, I just want to be good at my instruments, you know? And that's why you have to put work in. But my father, definitely, without a doubt. Jesse, what's the best part of your job? Hmm, that's part of my job. <laughs> I think for me, as a musician that performs, it's just getting to share an experience with people. You know, some years ago, I kind of realized and it evolved for me that you're not just standing in front of an audience and kind of presenting something. You're really trying to bring them with you on a journey. So it doesn't matter if it's in Tabaras or the National Concert Hall or a huge arena like, like Sam would be in, like it's it kind of all should be that way. So you're kind of not in yourself as such. Everything you're communicating and singing and playing is is with the people in the room. So whether it's five people or a hundred people. And that for me is the most exciting thing because you have to adapt that each to each space and each person that you meet and perform with. And you hope that they leave with something in them, you know, that wasn't there. But that's the most exciting part of it for me and always the challenge as well. But I think otherwise you would just sit at home and play, which is, you know, also a wonderful thing. But for me, that's the best part of what I do is sharing just the energy, basically. And Sam, what's the best part of your job? Well, it's twofold. Obviously, when I was a player, it was nothing like, as, as Jesse was saying, getting the audience participation, be a part of the whole thing. And it's like, that's what you want. Like, you know, you want to be a part of it. But then in later years, when I went on to be a tech with you too, it was like, I would be with them in spirit every night they go on stage i could feel them and i could feel if things didn't go rise you know you feel it and that's that's something that I, I i love having is that even though i wasn't up there playing i was part of it and like they made me feel part of what they were doing for all these years and that was important so it's about giving and it's like i mean you know when people come into a concert be it as you say a national concert hall or, or an arena or a stadium you got to give them something something to take away, you know, and that's what music is all about. And, you know, that's that's what we're up to right now. We're, we're doing a project, and, you know. We're doing work in schools in West Cork at the moment, where Sam's bringing a lot of percussion and doing some composition and just musicality with them. And like that was something we hadn't planned to do this year, but Sam was interested in being involved and it came up. So 
for me, it's been really rewarding. I think for the two of us, oh. we're working in four or five different schools. Yeah. And it's just that whole energy sharing thing with the kids, bringing all these different percussion and instruments. And tiny kids now we're talking and about, Some right? of them that <laughs> never, never get to try yeah. djembe or, you know. Shakers, maracas, congas, yeah. bongos, um, which aren't the norm really, right? Yeah. Which is fantastic. And the excitement on their face. We just yeah. came from school right yeah. now. Yeah. And we were just saying how once you're working with children of that age and younger people, it's great because it's nothing is about us, yeah. it's about them it's about when them. you're here, you're serving them. Yeah. So then we were kind of thinking on the way here, what do we have to talk about ourselves now? Yeah, I know, <laughs> it's, it's like, harder. oh my God, yeah. they're all talking about the kids having a great time because you can yeah. see it on their faces, you know? Yeah. It was fantastic. Sorry, we digressed a bit, did we? Sorry. <laughs> Jesse, who's your musical hero? I'd have to say number one. It's really tough for me to give you one answer for anything, <laughs> by the way. But Prince, I have to go with Prince. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> simple he's just he's he's kind of a modern day genius composer and I saw him live a couple of times and I've just never seen anyone perform like that and I think he used to say to every concert should be as if you were just going to be dead afterwards like this is your last day yeah, out, and that's his approach so that that passion for me and that his dedication to being to perfectionism as well he never stopped pursuing that and just the diversity so much so many different types of albums and collaborations yeah he's amazing <laughs> sam who's your musical hero well it has to be a drummer okay sorry <laughs> to be so boring <laughs> and his name would be steve gadd now, Steve Gadd, I mean, quick explanation of it. He's basically, he's on about 3,000 albums. Whoa. So he started out in the 60s, late 60s in America as a session guy. So in the studios in those days, there could be three artists in the studio at the same time. And that drummer would play on all those records. That's how all the records add up. But Steve Gadd, I, I've met him over the years and I'm in awe of his playing. Very simple playing. It's not, it's not very complicated. My type of, my type of playing, right? And like he, you would hear him on so many different records with James Taylor, Paul Simon, all the greats, Eric Clapton. When those artists go out, they always ask for Steve Gadd. I know it, it wouldn't be a name that you'd hear of very often, yeah. but for me, I mean, one of the greatest drummers of all time. And for me meeting him, I actually met him recently in Dublin again. It was like, I was blown away. He's such a lovely, lovely, amazing guy, you know? I'm not that sort of quote type of guy, like oh, I'm a fan of, but I was blown away by, by meeting. He's just so humble. But to watch him play, it's like, wow. <laughs> That's what it's all about. You know? Yeah. Jesse, tell us a little bit about Carberry Songs and what inspired this album. Carberry songs. Sorry, I'm actually hoarse from teaching all the kids <laughs> this morning. <laughs> uh, the Carberry songs, I think I was looking up the date. It's quite a few years now, 2014. I did that album and it was a period of time where I hadn't been playing a lot of music, actually. I had just gone back to studying violin. I think at that time, yeah, the year preceding that with Justin Grounds, who I think you've had in for a podcast, who's a Clonakilty-based composer and a, a great friend. So we were collaborating and he was teaching me a lot of Baroque violin. And I was kind of reconnecting with this area. And I used to go out to Castle Freak direction and I loved Long Strand. And I started reading books that I had been aware of through the years. Mary Carberry's journals, which was 1898 to 1901. So she wrote three years of journals while she lived in the castle. And I just sort of, I don't know what happened. I got sort of possessed by it. And um, in one way I look at it, it was probably a little bit of escapism for me at the time because I wasn't working in music. And I had done one album previously, which I was really happy with. But, you know, then it was just like I was, I had young kids and I was just kind of doing life. I just got really taken with this woman's story and started feeling like I was somehow there with her. I can't really explain it. It was some sort of spiritual connection. 
And so I started writing, I discussed it with Justin and I said, I have these ideas for songs. So I started writing them at, at home at night and then I read some more books. There was one written by a lady called Elizabeth Freak, who lived also in Castle Freak, but it would have been in the original Barry Castle. So that was uh, 1600s. I'll have to check the exact date again. And then there was also Juanita Carberry, who was the granddaughter of Mary Carberry, who mainly grew up in Africa, but would have come back here as well. So I just realized there was this really interesting thread of three women, three centuries, and they had all written, frankly, about their own lives and their own struggles. All of them wrote very emotionally. So I think it was what took me in that was that it wasn't very stoic writing, which in that Victorian kind of era was what you'd expect. And in fact, Elizabeth Freak is known as one of the earliest female diarists that we have full stop. So it's amazing that she wrote volumes of work. So that was where the, the music came from. And then I kind of felt, well, I have to get the blessing of the family. And I kind of did a lot of cold calling. I called to the castle, to Stephen Evans Freak, had meetings with him, wanted to make sure that they were kind of just happy with where I was going. Because I guess I was writing about other people's history. It wasn't mine as much as I felt connected to it. I got some other really amazing people on board around that time. So I collaborated with Donovan, who's a very old friend and mentor of mine, who's a songwriter. I don't know if you know his work, but I don't know how many incredible songs. And Let's um, go. He goes back to the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. He's a friend, he would have been a friend of the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> and he was always a great mentor to me in music and a great friend and his wife, Linda. So I called to them. They live in East Cork. I discussed the ideas with them and he said he would love to be on board. So I went back and co-wrote with him. And then Patsy Putnam, who lives in Skibreen, and I think you've interviewed David here. I knew Patsy a little, but not very well. But when I was uh, part of this music was that it was going to be narrated through by these female characters that I'd written. And I could hear her voice being Mary Carberry and I just couldn't get past it. And so, you know, I'm quite a shy person. So for me, approaching these people is always quite scary. And you're just afraid of no or, you know, yeah. they won't think this is good enough. But anyway, Patsy was amazing. And she also became very captivated by the, the story. So we did recordings together and performances. Sub subsequently, we launched it in Ross Carberry Cathedral. And, you know, in the end, her connection to Mary Carberry was very much as mine. So it was this real bond we've had ever since through the Carberry songs. And that night in Ross Carberry was the most amazing night because we did this huge performance. Donovan flew in from Edinburgh. Patsy was on stage. We had a lot of incredible musicians. The place was full. And there was just this kind of feeling of angels flying around or something. Mm -hmm. This is how I think how Patsy said it. And then we went back to the castle and had a huge sort of banquet, maybe 25 of us and stayed there till all hours talking under the portrait of Mary Carberry with her sons. It's like by Shannon, it's this really famous portrait. So it was just kind of this incredible end to the story. I mean, it did carry on. We've done a lot of concerts um, since lovely performances of it. And I have to say, when it was all over, it was like, oh, what will I do now? There was a sort of bereft. But, it, you know, I think those spirits have have come with me through life ever since I probably signed some sort of pact. <laughs> um, and sometimes I still feel they come in and out of something, but it also brought me amazing luck and set me on very fortuitous paths ever since in music. So that was a long answer. That's the longest answer you'll get from me. <laughs> is it your favorite album so far? Mm, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Sam, can you tell us about your experience with the band you 2 Okay, let me tell you what my introduction to the band were, except for in the Arcadia, was we've flown out to America and I arrived downtown Los Angeles. We went up on a roof and we, uh, we filmed the video for Streets With No Name, right? 
So that was my introduction. That was a scary introduction because we were shot down by the police in the middle of it, right? Thumbs in the video, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. I was like, I'm there going, listen, you come from Cork or Dublin and you don't see police with guns, right? So here we're in downtown Los Angeles on the roof and it was the most incredible experience. So there are a few fantastic experiences with the band. I mean, I've done every video. I mean, beautiful day out on the runway at Charles de Gaulle. We actually shot that on the runway, one of the runways. It was an offshoot runway, which they use for aircraft. If there's a problem, they come off. So if there was a problem, they'd be heading towards us. Yeah. So we we had to, we actually shot that in about 15 minutes. <laughs> Everything set up on the back of trucks, out onto the runway. Remember the chef to keep, she was a lady. She was like really scared that something would go horribly wrong. Right? <laughs> yeah. With the band's influence with certain people, we were able to get to use the runway. Nobody gets to use runways in airports, right? But overall, I mean, working with the band, I mean, I've done 14 albums in the studio with them over the years. I Basically, my job took on so many roles. I started out as a tech, then I became the crew chief, and then I ended up being the studio manager. So I ran their studio for them in Dublin for many, many years. So we did lots of records. So every, everywhere we went in the world, I would then do the studio management role in wherever we are. But working with them was absolutely amazing, you know. I mean... It's, it's been uh, mind-blowing. Like, I mean, what is, I think one of the most amazing things for, because I'm into music in such a big way, it's that being there during the creative process. I love that, you know? I mean, songs that would like, you know, that come out of something, you go, oh my God, where did that come from? Like, and you're there and you're listening to each member putting down their part. And it's like, and then I still love, of course, you know, when Larry would go in and hit down his pieces. But to be honest with you, at the end of the day, when Bono went in there and hit some notes, there was nothing like it. There was nothing like it, you know? So, you know, there's so many wonderful moments and it's, it's hard to pick, but my, I had to tell you about the introduction. But other than that, I mean, working in the studio, to touring, I, I've done every major stadium in the world. Been around the world a dozen times, like, you know, it's just part of your job, like, I'm not saying that, you know, but you know, <laughs> they were paying for it, like, <laughs> for me to go. Uh, but, you know, every stadium from South America, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, you know, uh, we actually did Moscow once, you know, and that was an experience. It was fine, you know, there won't be any much music back there for a long time, you know. But my experiences with the band have been incredible, absolutely incredible. And, you know, it's like the voyage has been unbelievable. And they were just so good to me, you know, over the years. And I just, I'm so grateful. And that's it, really. <laughs> Jesse, what has been the highlight of your career so far? I think a few of the, the gigs that I've gotten to do have been exciting and the collaborations. Again, I'm very much about collaboration. So I would say writing with Donovan was great. Collaborating with Patsy, the two that I've mentioned, but then other performances that I would have done, like the National Concert Hall, just felt incredibly exciting. Again, that was with Donovan, actually, but just being on the stage, you know, before the concert and kind of realizing where you are, having gone there as yeah. a younger person and you kind of feel... Okay, I've done something here. This is cool. Yeah. I've never done the National Concert Hall. I know, yeah. Um, <laughs> Jealous. Yeah. <laughs> I think they were they were big highlights. I feel very blessed. I, one of their highlights, I suppose I'd like to bring it back to when I was very young and how people can really shape our paths. And when I was about eight or nine, I got to play with Nigel Kennedy, who's probably one of the best violinists in the world. He happens to have the same second name, but we're not related. <laughs> and, you know, again, it was, it was Donovan brought that about but invited me over because Nigel was staying with him. And I remember, you know, at eight or nine, him giving me his Stradivarius violin, Stradivarius violin, which couldn't be even insured, I think then. It's just, 
it's priceless. And he wouldn't let any adult play it, but he would say, no, you, you play this, you know. And just realizing in later years how important these these actions are from older people and peers, you know, because I just felt like that was such a gift from him. So I guess it wasn't a career highlight, but it was certainly musically I don't think I could better that as a violinist. You know, <laughs> it's quite an honour. Sam, what has been the highlight of your career so far? One only. <laughs> oh, I remember. Today. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I suppose remembering we were in the sports arena in Los Angeles and we had started the original Joshua Tree Tour, which was in 1987. We've done since then. We've done a 30th anniversary. was when the band got told on stage that the album went to number one in America. Oh my gosh. I think for all of us was like, oh my God, we're on a journey now. <laughs> and you know, because they make us feel part of everything, it was like, I think that's a highlight. I mean, when that was their first number one album in America, they've had whatever it's stuff, but the number one is like, oh my God, Joshua Tree, number one in America. Wow. Take a deep breath and here we go. <laughs> and the journey didn't stop. That was 1987. So that's kind of a highlight, I think. <laughs> Jesse, have you got any future plans? Yeah, always loads. I've always got lots of ideas. Yeah, lots of creative ideas always. My mind doesn't really stop ever thinking that way. Something I am definitely passionate about is this work that we're doing with the schools and just educating music in a different way is something I feel a lot more people could access. And I'm really, really, really passionate about that. So that's something I want to always be doing in some capacity, just as sort of a service as well, like just to serve and just give a bit back, as, as Sam was always saying. So that's one future plan. And I'll be writing again, recording. That's something I'll always do. So I think future plans wise music, I'd like to tie in more of the other side of work that I do, which is yoga and mindfulness meditation. It's something that keeps coming back to me as well. And I'm doing it with a lot more people now, working with a lot more people in that area. So I think that's going to, because it's been so transformative for me, it's going to stay a big part of my life as well. Yeah. Any future plans for you, Sam? Well, basically, as Jesse was saying, the project that we're on at the moment, which is going to four schools here in West Cork, basically teaching really young kids. It's more like letting them have fun with music. It's more like that, you know, so it's not very strict. They kind of have, it's, it's free form. You know, we're, we're teaching them about percussion instruments, as we were saying at the start, and letting them have a good time. It's even about dance and movement and getting to know these foreign instruments that they have never seen before, like a djembe, you know, stuff like that. It's not normal. In, in, that's that's what I'm, we're really excited about at the moment. That's going to go on for quite a few weeks now. So we're, we're right in, at the start of that. And it's really exciting. We've done two schools already. And it's amazing. I mean, to be around these tiny tots is, <laughs> is fairly crazy going, but it's fantastic. Like, you know, it's brilliant. The energy they have and it's like, and they want to know about stuff, you know, it's brilliant. So I think that's, that's, that's the future for now. Jesse, what might we be surprised to know about you? Yeah, I did see that question and I thought, <laughs> I thought a good one would be that I ran a marathon in Kenya. You don't usually put that together with a musician. So I am pretty proud of that. It sounds a bit braggy, but yeah. It's not. It's um, good. It's probably not what that you is expect. Very nice. <laughs> that is class. Yeah. What might we be surprised to know about you, Sam? I suppose I should brag, really. Yeah. Um, I was in Nashville a few years ago and Larry, we was, I was over there with Larry, the drummer from the band, and he was playing on an Emmylou Harris album. And I know the producer very well, Daniel Lenoir, and he said to me, do you want to play some percussion on this particular song? And the particular song, which is actually a Neil Young song, 
which he gave to Emmy so she could use on things. It's called Wrecking Ball. He said, I want you to do a certain type of percussion. Just mess around with it and we'll, we'll just hit record and see what happens. So basically, I ended up playing this thing called a rotor wheel, which is a, it's a symbol of some sort. And we panned it from right to left on the microphones like that. And it's the opening sound on, 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 the, on the actual thing. Oh my gosh. And I think what my, my favorite thing as well is that I'm on the credits <laughs> and I'm before Neil Young. <laughs> Whoops, sorry, Neil. He came last on the credits. I was just before him. So there you go. That's my little brag. <laughs> Jesse, what's your favorite motto? The motto I had, it was longer than the line, so I brought it with me because it was a David Bowie quote, but now I can't find my phone. Do you want to go with yours first, Sam? Oh, um. Because I really want to share this one. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's. It's when you're striving for something. I think it's, it's a kind of, it's not really a motto, but it's like strive for the extraordinary. Don't be happy with, you know, good or, or brilliant, the extraordinary. And if you find that, you know you're on the right path in whatever you do, be it being a doctor, being a musician or whatever, you know, just strive for the extraordinary. And I think that you, you give back so much when you go that far. That's kind of it. Really. This is a great one. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just something that inspires me almost every day because I do something every day that scares me. <laughs> it's a real <laughs> classic, but I really do. So David Bowie once said, if you feel safe in the area that you're working in, you're not working in the right area. Always go a little further into the water than you feel you're capable of being in. And when you don't feel that your feet are quite touching the bottom, you're just about in the right place to do something exciting. Yeah. That's pretty good, right? Oh, That's yeah. pretty good. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Thank you, David. <laughs> and Jesse, what advice would you give to your teenage self? I would say believe in myself more. Follow my dreams more without any apology. Like, just go for it. And um, that's something I've really learned in, I mean, I'm 41 now. It took me a long time to learn that. I was always doubting myself and needing about three other opinions before I would make any decision on anything. And you look back and you go, I was actually great. Like, why, why didn't I do all of these other things? So they're not regrets, but certainly, you know, you get this one life, you've got to go full speed ahead and make no apologies for it. And Sam, advice you would give to your teenage self? Same thing, really, you know, believe in yourself. You know, I went through life like that as well. I was always strong, do I need to do this? But I was going for the extraordinary too in my own way. And, you know, if you never even achieve it, but you have to aim for it. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to just push that a little bit harder. And I suppose, again, no regrets. I mean, I think we did okay over the years, but it's like, that would be what I would say to myself, just have a little bit more confidence in yourself. I think that's important. And if you're confident in yourself, also when the people that you're working with or people around you, if they see that, that helps them as well. Because if somebody's all doubting all the time, then it brings everybody down. So if you're up there being more confident about something, and it's not just being bullish, right? I don't mean that. I mean, just being confident and, you know, believe in yourself. And, and just push yourself that little bit more. I think, you know, it's something you think, oh, why didn't I do this? And there's a lot of other things. Actually, you know, I would have liked to have learned if maybe a few more instruments, but I just stuck with drums, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.